0: 2021, about a decade from now, you'll look in your journal and it'll say, Dear Journal, today, college football voluntarily steered itself right into an iceberg and it didn't even realize. Don't worry, we got a lot of things to talk about tonight. There's going to be some playoff, but there's going to be about 80% of the show that is void of playoff talk. Because my theory is, if you want it, you can get it in like 47 different places today. But yes, true enough, we do have some things to say about that. But also, transfer portal, that's stuff that you guys have really cared about. You've been talking about it in every comment section. And so there are some positives, but I think there are some negatives and there are some visible negatives. But then there are also some things that may be a Bit beneath the surface. I'm gonna touch on some of those tonight. Also, the Will Muschamp email chain. Is, he's been gone for a while, so you may wonder what does Will Muschamp have to do with tonight's show? Well, nothing in and of himself. But this week, the state, just kind of a newspaper website in South Carolina, got a, a FOIA request finally granted, and they got a lot of the emails, a lot of the internals from Ray Tanner, the AD there, and what was going on via email, at least, behind the scenes in the week leading up to his firing. Offers a fascinating little glimpse, just a little peek for you and I behind the curtain, but it also ties into a much larger theme that you and I have talked about a number of times on this show, and it really chips away at the facade, or facade, as uh, as. Some people would say I'm not going to mention names about how thorough and and how uh, you know what I'm going to save I'm going to save the verbiage for when we get to it but it's just it's fascinating. Let me cough right quick. <coughs> There we go. All right. Now we're good. And also, there was a really, really good piece from Chris Hummer, who took a second and compiled some player development numbers today. Bama and Clemson, I don't think this is a shock to anyone, lead the way. There are just as many programs totally inept on the other side, programs that have every major advantage or should have every major advantage in the sport, and yet they have squandered it. A lot of you would say, oh, well, the playoffs are the problem. No, the structure of the postseason is not the problem. The structure of the athletic departments around here may be the problem, but nevertheless, we'll dive into that. So I wanted to thank thank you because we're passing milestone after milestone, numerically. Some of them you can see, some of them you can't. So I just ask you, keep them going. For instance, if you're watching the video right now, like the video. That helps. Five-star reviews in the podcast. And also, follow that Instagram and YouTube and uh, Twitter channel, at Josh. All right, let's dive into the show. Uh, like, like I said, we're going to talk about some playoff, but this is not going to be a show wall-to-wall about playoff tonight. There are a lot of places you can go if you want to check that out. So um, what is the most responsible way for me to talk about this that doesn't get me arrested? Let's just, dive in. Colin You've seen the movie Volcano. I've seen the movie Volcano. I was Anne Hayes in Volcano today. I'm sitting there minding my own business. It's about noon, scrolling through the iJosh, and all of a sudden, there it is. There's the news. We got a college football playoff expansion looming. It's imminent. It's this and that. Here are the details. Well, we'll go through the details together in just a second. But what does Anne Heche have to do with any of this? Well, at first, I wanted to be Tommy Lee Jones in Volcano because he's the big hero. But he was kind of stupid for a little while. Anne Hayes knew what she was doing. She was the geologist. She knew what was up. And I was hurt today, because as the rest of America, seemingly around me, was celebrating, I was the one saying, uh, we got much bigger problems on the horizon. So if you've ever seen the movie Volcano, you know what happens. There's a volcano in Los Angeles, very convenient for the movie's purposes, right there in the La Brea <laughs> volcano. And so then, lava just starts pouring down a road in the middle of Los Angeles, and they bring in these big concrete girders, okay? And they put them all across the road. And the big question everyone's mind is focused on is the is 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 what we put in the way of the lava, is it gonna stop the lava? In college football right now, it's well we got a lot of problems, we got a lack of parity, we got a lack of interest at the end of the year. Can we put something in the way or or can we put a fix in that maybe changes what the status quo is? So in the movie. They stop the lava. And then they're dumb enough to celebrate. And all the while, Ann Hage is over here saying, the lava's not going anywhere. (laughs) The lava's just, it's going through the subway tunnels. It's going through the sewer system. You still got an active volcano. Still got a huge problem in college football. Nothing got solved today. When they push this thing through, which, believe me, they will, nothing's getting solved. You got one solution. And for every one solution in this proposal, you got one and a half problems. Now, what sucks for people like me is, it's going to be too late once we realize it. Los Angeles got saved by Tommy Lee Jones and Ann Hage. I don't think anyone's coming to save college football. But I do want to dive into the particulars. If you've been, oh, I don't know, at a job today and you didn't get to be dialed into this like we were, here's what happened. Jesse, I think we have, I don't know, I think we have some graphics for it, but there were multiple reports, kind of came out around the same time. It's funny how the same folks that had all these stories are the same ones that had all the uh, Big Ten stories, you know, when they were trying to cancel the season. But I digress. So the College Football Playoff Management Committee, of which, it's going to shock you, I'm not a part of, they will meet next week. And a proposal is going to be put in front of them and it's going to be given to them by a working group that has been working on this for a little while and the proposal is a 12 team playoff the six highest ranked conference champions i want you to pay close attention to that language the six highest rated and there's no auto bid here just the six highest rated it also doesn't say highest rated power five champs it just says highest rated conference champs also six at larges no auto bids No limit to amount of playoff teams per conference here. And we have a statement. No segment is good without a statement. This is from the members of the working group of the college football playoff committee. The four-team format has been a very popular big success, but it's important that we consider the opportunity for more teams and more student-athletes to participate in the playoff. All about the student-athlete. After reviewing numerous options, or as you may call them, numerous options, we believe this proposal is the best option to increase participation, enhance the regular season, and grow the national excitement of college football. Okay. In other words, we're going to make more money. I don't know why I wasted time on the two paragraphs. We're going to make a whole lot more money and we fooled a lot of you into supporting the idea that's going to make us a whole lot more money. So listen, we have gone about this many times. It's why I'm not going to dive back into the particulars of why I don't support expansion, why you do support expansion. I also, I know I use some strong language sometimes, strong for me, relative to people on various sides of the fence here. I know 99% of you love college football, just like I do. So if we differ on what we think is best for the game, who cares? We can go eat barbecue tomorrow. That's fine. I do get somewhat aggravated by the fact that there are a lot of tourists associated with not this sport, but this proposal who come in and couldn't tell you the mascot for Iowa state to save their lives. And yet they've got to say so in how this is ultimately going to work, but I can't do anything to change that, but I'm not going to waste much time debating that. If you want my, I'll tell you what, if you want my thoughts on this, go listen to the Tuesday morning, late kick extra podcast. I laid out every reason. I sounded like I was hopped up on cocaine, man. I was talking fast. It sounded like you would accidentally hit the time and a half or two time button. And You were listening to me and fast forward because I thought that about myself full disclosure when I listened to the replay and I wasn't I was just talking that fast i um, Embarrassingly so actually but to be clear just so you know where I stand on this There were some problems that were temporarily solved here And I want to state this because a lot of people are going to try and reconstruct what someone like me says down the road Because this is going to be a success initially. It's going to be a huge success It's going to be a spectacle a huge success the first year second year third year It's going to be pretty incredible to watch and I have long made maintained, the playoff product in a bubble, in a vacuum, will be a success. It'll be something to watch. I'll be at the games, we'll be covering them, we'll be talking about them, or it'll be great to see, okay? My point is, has and always will be, that's not the genesis, or at least that's not the crux of this sport to me. The regular season always has been. A lot of you out there believe this will not deter, it will only enhance the value of the regular season. I wholeheartedly disagree. I've stated my reasons, but again, I'm not here to argue about that tonight. But here's what I wanna do. I told y'all, I wasn't gonna go that long on this, because we've got many, many weeks down the road this won't be wrapped up until September. we got many weeks down the road to talk about it. But I do just want to, I want you to bookmark something for me. I was thinking about this a lot today. You know, if you watch the show, I don't really try and, I, we don't do any hot takes around here. I, I'm, it's totally the antithesis of what our modus operandi is. So it's not what I'm trying to do. I wholeheartedly believe the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But I just want you to bookmark this because it's not going to be relevant in 22, 23, 24, 25, whenever this starts. But down the road, as a result of the changes that are coming to this sport, you mark my words. There are three words that you never thought you'd hear come out of your mouth that as sure as we sit here and talk to each other today are going to creep in to the college football vernacular over the next decade. And they are meaningless playoff game. That sounds stupid. It sounds outright insane. And you're right. If you're applying status quo of present day to what I just said, it is insane. But I want you to hit rewind with me. Do me a favor. Just a decade ago, let's go back and let's remember what it would have been like if you and I were talking in, I don't know, 2011, and I told you, we got a playoff coming. You would have probably celebrated. Most people would have. You looked forward to it. But here's what the playoff's going to do. It's going to make bowl games meaningless. Totally meaningless. Even what we would call BCS games, rotational games, New Year's Six games, they're going to be meaningless. So much so that you're going to say the word yourself and players are going to be opting out of those games. You would have told me that's crazy. You never could have envisioned it. Because based on the status quo at the time, that would have made no sense. But we did not maintain status quo. We incorporated a playoff. And so everything changed. And so I want you to tell me do you know of anything in the world where you can decrease the scarcity of a product but maintain the value of the product because I don't. Currency, playoff spots and the like, I don't know anything that you can have more of but maintain the value of. So right now, we know how valuable those playoff spots are because there are only, what, four of them. So we increased to 12. First few years, this will not be a problem, but I want you to bookmark it and you can mark my words right along with it. Down the road, once we got several cycles in, and you watch, even you guys who are supporting this expansion are admitting publicly, This isn't going to do anything to close the gap. The elites will still be elite. The haves will still have. The have-nots will still have not. It's just going to give more people a chance to get in. Oh Yeah, it will. It sure will. You always assume that's going to mean the same thing then that it does right now. It won't because you're going to watch people get their heads bashed against a wall. You're going to watch a bunch of 11 and 12 seeds get in there and get splattered all over a stadium for four quarters. And then guess what's going to happen? You're going to be reconditioned and you're not going to view a playoff spot equal to a playoff spot. And you're going to, you won't have to think it, you'll start saying it. Mark my words over the next decade, one of your multiples of you will say out loud, Mm. These playoff games are a little more meaningless than the big ones down the road. What will you have done then? Well, you will have proven me right, but I couldn't care less about being right. I hope I'm wrong because if I'm right about this, it'll be too late. Just as you've been telling me all week, oh, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, you want to go back in time, back to when we didn't even have a playoff. Well, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. That's true. What I just like to do is take the tube of toothpaste out of the hands of the kids who made the mess in the first place. But the ones who made the mess have an ulterior motive here. They've convinced you this is what's best for the game. It's what's best for their wallet. You just happen to go along with it. So I'm diametrically opposed to the logic that's been put out there. No one has said anything that's changed my mind on this. And you can rest assured, I'm standing behind my convictions because this is going to be great for me. Late Kick will massively benefit from this. Our show's numbers will go through the roof. Our show's profile will explode. I will benefit. I'm kind of like a conference commissioner. I will benefit financially from this. And yet I still hate it. So if you wonder if I mean what I say, you can take it to the bank because I will take it to the bank and I will not not even be happy doing it. All right, let's move on. That's about all I have to take for uh, or have to say for the playoff tonight. The transfer portal is so this is fascinating. First off, let me take you about 6 months ago behind the scenes a little bit. There was a lot of talk in our industry about things that were changing and when you were mapping out content plans how are we going to cover this? How are we going to cover that? NIL has everyone's imagination in our business. You don't care about it. I see the numbers. You don't really care about it. Conversely, you care a lot about the transfer portal. It's why if you'll notice how we structure our show, we haven't really talked about NIL lately. We try and talk about the transfer portal pretty much every show. So the transfer portal tonight, I wanted to hit it, but I wanted to hit it maybe from a little bit different angle. There are some positives. I think we all acknowledge there are a lot of negatives in the room about the transfer portal as well. Some are obvious. Rosters are a mess. The numbers, the scholars, Numbers are a mess right now. A lot of players, whether they know it or not, are just hanging themselves out to dry. They're not going to have a landing spot. It just gives you an outright option to quit when the going gets tough. We can all acknowledge, yes, these are truths that are in the room. But I think there are some negatives that may be a little bit less obvious. And so I got an email from Caleb the other day that he really wanted me to include in the Q and A section of the Late Kick Extra podcast. But I thought it was so good that I I just thought, hey, why don't we make a segment out of this on Late Kick Live? So here's his email. It's pretty short. He said, Who would have thought that in in 2021, Ryan Tannehill would be a starting NFL quarterback, and Robert Griffin III would not be. There is also a strong argument to be made that 2011 A&M receiving core is the best one A&M had outside of the Johnny Football years. It's funny how things work. Here's this question: Tannehill was a backup quarterback. You remember this if you watch A&M. He played receiver for two and a half seasons. He had over a thousand yards receiving. As I remember, he probably would have been A&M's best receiver if they weren't sparing him a bit. But again, backup quarterback has the transfer portal put an end to this sort of thing. In the transfer portal era, how likely is it that we even see a quarterback that's a terrific athlete choose to play another position while he keeps fighting for that QB1 spot eventually? And would college coaches even be willing to conceive such a plan? What do we think about this? Because I think that's a really good question. I think it's something that's changing. The answer to that question may very well have changed over the last three years and we may not have even realized it, because to me, it's almost impossible to envision what was happening less than a decade ago happening today and moving forward. I think another example from around that era that immediately came to my mind when I read that email was, I think, Nick Saban's most underrated season at Alabama. It was 2014. They did not win a national championship. But if you remember that team, they lost to Ohio State in the semifinals. But what happened there is they had a kid out of Gainesville, Georgia. Ironically enough, the Red Elephants of Gainesville, Georgia. And they recruited Blake Sims to come to Alabama. They play quarterback at Gainesville. But the talk when he was a recruit was, well, he's not going to play quarterback at Alabama. You know, he's a really good athlete, though. So maybe he'll play wide receiver. Maybe he'll be a DB. So he comes to Bama. And sure enough, they work him at running back. They work him at wide receiver. They work him at DB. For a number of years, Blake Sims basically went wherever they had a deficiency or a shortage in roster numbers. And this screamed to you on the best program in America's roster. There's no way. The odds are a million to one that kid's ever going to play quarterback but Blake Sims stayed at Bama and he kept doing what he was asked to do but he always had in the back of his mind that eventually he was going to get a shot to earn that quarterback job. Well then a transfer comes in by the name of Jacob Coker, former five-star kid from Florida State. Famously, famously Jimbo Fisher tells you well through the media, It was neck and neck. Jacob Coker almost beat out Jameis Winston for the starting job. You remember what Winston went on to do. And so Coker comes in. So everyone, including myself, believe, okay, well, it's just a foregone conclusion. It's gonna be his job. And Blake Sims just flat out scrapped and clawed and crawled over broken glass and won that job. I have no clue if we'll ever see that again. I mean, how would we ever have an environment that's conducive to that happening? It's not just the player. I'm not telling you, oh, all the Blake Sims and Ryan Tannehill's of the world would transfer these days. Some of them would, but think about it from the coach's perspective too. Not only am I asking you how many players are going to stick around and fight and fight and fight several years to eventually lock down a quarterback position or the position that they want. I'm asking you, especially if we're talking about quarterback, how many coaching staffs are even, as Caleb said, how many of them are even going to conceive that? Because you can either do one of two things. You can either look and say, all right, we got this kid. We've been working at receiver and safety and running back everywhere, but punter. Okay, maybe our future plans call for him to get a shot at quarterback. Quarterback. Or you could say oh, we got a hole in 2023. Probably we'll just hit the portal. They're going to hit the portal 100 times out of 100. They're hitting the portal, and so that's one thing that I think you could construe as a negative that the transfer portal has brought on. But there's another one too. You're going to start hearing more and more about this because everyone at the high school level is talking about it right now. This is horrifically bad for college for a high school football. Now <laughs> you could say it's bad for college football too. High school football suffering, man. The coaches and the players, they're all talking about it, and it's going to creep up and eventually this. This will be part of the mainstream conversation, but I talk to a lot of high school coaches, and so they don't have a giant microphone in front of them. They don't have the megaphone that some of the college coaches have, but I'm telling you there's no simple solution, because as much as everyone agrees there's a problem, if you can't get a bunch of folks to agree on the solution, then you're at a stalemate. And right now the problem is the whole 85 scholarship, 25 initial calendar per year. How are we going to handle transfers going out and coming in? People can't seem to figure out and come to the middle ground on a conclusion to solve this. And in the meantime, you got programs, Louisville, Scott Satterfield's on record as saying, we're probably only taking like 10 or 11 high school kids in our recruiting class this year, because that's what our numbers dictate. And so what's happening? Well, what's happening is you're drastically cutting down the number of roster spots available in a recruiting cycle for high school players. And so the byproduct is number one, you got some kids that don't get a shot, but you also have kids that have to go to JUCO or the FCS level that previously would have been a G5 player or a Power 5 player. And I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you have the unintended consequence of creating a de facto farm system in college football because the kids that would have gotten Power 5 offers are now bumped down to taking an FCS offer or a G5 offer. Those kids that would have gotten those offers are now bumped down to maybe even not having a spot and having to walk on or getting a JUCO spot. And then their goal becomes to get in college, play a couple of years at the FCS level, and then I'm headed to the Power five level. Now, no one's under the misguided notion that that didn't already exist to a certain extent. But be real now, if you're an FCS coach, what percentage of your roster were you scared of losing every year? And then double it or triple it, and that's going to be the new reality. There is nobody of, of, of sound mind, at least, that says this is a good thing for the sport of football. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, Aside from somebody has a a kumbaya come to Jesus moment tomorrow and we arrive at a reasonable, acceptable conclusion on how to handle the scholarship crisis in college football right now, until someone addresses that that transfer portal, it's got a lot of unintended negative consequences that are starting to be felt and it's like a ripple effect. It's only going to get bigger and broader. Let's dive into some emails, shall we? This is really fun. It makes me feel like I'm running Meet the Press here. Okay, it's like a year late though. The Ray Tanner emails were finally provided via Freedom of Information Act to thestate.com this week. In case you missed it, I don't just assume that everyone's world has been revolving around a Freedom of Information Act in Columbia, South Carolina. So thestate.com, if you want to read, it's a multi part series. If you want to read these yourself, it's on their website. Ray Tanner's emails, he's the athletic director at South Carolina. When the whole Mush Champ saga was going on last fall, of course, as is usually the case, a FOIA request got filed and as is usually the case, the entity, this case, South Carolina, drugged their feet for as long as they could, and then they finally released them like this week or last week. There is no major bombshell here, uh, but there are several fascinating nuggets. Some apply to Carolina, and some are much broader than Carolina. The quick timeline, just to refreshify your memory, because we were kind of following this pretty closely on the show at the time. November 7th, South Carolina loses to Texas A&M 48-3, and the heat is turned up to 10 on Will Muschamp. Now, if you'll remember the following Monday, Muschamp steps to the podium for his normal Monday press conference and the assembled media there. They ask him, what do you think about your job security right now? Have you talked to Ray Tanner? What's the deal? What's what's going on? And Will Muschamp said he feels totally confident. He meets with Ray Tanner every week. They frequently talk about the status of the football program. And he was asked directly, are you worried? And he directly said, no, six days later, he was fired following a 59 to 42 loss the following Saturday at Ole Miss. So, November 16th, Will Muschamp is fired. Now, I want you to remember the day, November 10th. So, we back up six days. That's the day. That Muschamp has the press conference. That's the day that he says, no, I'm not worried at all. We had pretty good intel on this. Okay. We had a couple of people really plugged in. So, I mean, we were right on this. I, I remember being pretty proud of the way we handled this, to be honest with you. So November 10th, why is that important? Well, it turns out that about the time Will Muschamp was talking to the assembled media and telling them, no, I'm not worried. Charles Bloom, who's sort of the chief of staff there for Ray Tanner, he emailed Ray Tanner a list and he, I'm going to read actually from the piece. It says on the same day, just a few hours, Hours later, Tanner received an email from his chief of staff, Executive Associate AD Charles Bloom. Its subject line was coaches discreet. And the body of the email was a list of 10 coaches and coordinators in college football and their salaries. So which names were on this list? I think when you see the list, we're about to show you. I'm going to read it to you too. When you see this list, all of a sudden it'll make sense what leaked and when it leaked and which names were leaking. Tell me if you've heard these names before. Brian Harson, he was at Boise State at the time. Now he's at Auburn. Billy Napier, still at Louisiana. Mario Cristobal, still at Oregon. Hugh Freeze. Anyone heard of Hugh Freeze? The big talking point was, is he a non-starter or is he a potential candidate. Well, he's on the list. Alabama offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. What happened to him? Anyone? Oh, he's head coach, Texas. Now, Uh, Kendall Bryles is the OC at Arkansas. Luke Fickle, head coach at Cincinnati. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. Skip Holtz down at Louisiana Tech. Sonny Dykes at SMU. And as you listen to that list of coaches, as I said, did, did it sound familiar? Did those names sound familiar? Now, of course, the answer is yes, because I kid you not, I have vivid memories of at one point or another seeing every one of these names in either an article citing an anonymous source or a tweet about what someone close to the situation was hearing or a message board post from a pretty informed and plugged in poster. It just goes to show you, once you get a little peek behind the curtain, it shows you how names start to leak out. In other words, it's not always an agent leaking his candidate's name out in order to get him a raise sometimes it is but sometimes the executive associate ad has sent an email and people find out about the list of names and it gets leaked but here's the key okay cuz i want to i want to read you another part from this in just a second. And I'm going to extend independent of the South Carolina search now, because I want you to really understand what's going on behind the scenes in a coaching search and the illusion that I used to be under and maybe you're under still, I don't know. But there is a misguided notion. I had it for a long time until I got to cheat and look behind the scenes a little bit. There is a misguided notion that these coaching searches are well-oiled machines. And a lot of times they are anything but. Now, again, I want to stress I'm not dunking on South Carolina right now. I'm going to read you a couple of more examples that sort of underline what the process actually entails more times than not. Couple of more excerpts from the piece from thestate.com. In this case, Bloom, Charles Bloom, the aforementioned Charles Bloom, told us he researched names he had seen on social media or in mainstream media that had been floated as hot names in college football and he passed the information along to Tanner. Now, it should be noted, that's literally all he did. on to say I would do this, this is standard practice. That list didn't mean anything, it wasn't something that had been put together by several power brokers that be. It was just a list and I just sent it on to him for whatever reason here's another portion of this excerpt the Saturday morning of the Ole Miss game this is the last game must champ coaches as it turns out Ray Tanner receives an email from Eugene War board member since 03 former chairman War's email simply contained a link to an article from the University of Oklahoma student newspaper profiling assistant coach Shane Beamer now I'm going to stress for the third time the statements I'm about to make are not specific to South Carolina for all I know they name their head coaching search but I want to draw you back to the point I was making college football is in a big mess right now today A lot of people think they took a giant step towards solving that problem by expanding the playoff. The problem is not attached to the postseason of college football. The problem is attached to the decision-making apparatus in many athletic departments in college football. You've got a huge issue in that you've got people making critical hiring decisions that are so ill-equipped and misinformed on what it takes to win. And things like, oh, I don't know, a student newspaper article or what's hot on social media. You think I'm joking with you i'm telling you more times than not that stuff is factoring into the decision-making process when in reality Any coaching search worth its salt is totally closed off to what is trending in hashtags on social platforms or what any kind of newspaper is writing. If the people on Twitter and the people writing the columns were good enough, they'd be running the athletic department. They're not. That's why they're covering you. You're supposed to be working and operating at a little bit higher intellectual or acumen level, or at least you're supposed to be surrounded by people who do that. But that's not the case, and so you get the hires wrong, and then you dig holes that you can't get out of because you got enough Alabamas and Ohio States in the world that are freight trains with a hundred cars going the same direction. And it creates this insurmountable gap. And instead of looking in the mirror and saying, we did this to ourselves, you use fancy enough language and you got a good enough nomenclature that confuses people into thinking the system is what holds us down. The system doesn't hold you down at Tennessee. The system had not held Texas down. The system had not held South Carolina down. Poor hires have held them down. And this is a small microcosm of how it can go wrong. Now let's circle back to the hire they made at South Carolina. So they end up hiring Shane Beamer, who was thought to be the leader in the class Clubhouse from the very beginning. Now, as I've said before, and I'll say again, only takes one right hire to erase a multitude of wrong decisions. Arkansas may have done it with Pittman. Maybe South Carolina did it with Shane Beamer. I got an email from Thomas, who also wanted his question included in the Late Kick Extra podcast, uh, but I'm going to answer it here. He said, Over the last few months, has your opinion changed on Shane Beamer? Well, no, my opinion hasn't changed. I- I've got a generally positive opinion of him. I think that. It could be a perfect woven into the fabric hire for that specific job. Beamer would be a terrible hire for the University of Washington and could still be a great hire for Carolina. Sam Pittman, does he fit at Arizona? Probably not. Fits at Arkansas though. So it's very important, culture and community and fit are infinitely more important in college football than they ever have been or will be at the NFL level. If you can coach for the Chargers, you can coach for the Patriots. You coach for the Oregon State Beavers, I don't know if you're fitting Auburn University just because you succeeded in one place. You get how it works. If you're watching this show, you're a big college football fan, you get how it works. But the point is, no, my opinion hasn't changed. I knew he'd come in and galvanize the fan base. I mean, certainly the fan base got him hired. They were all on board with it, which renders a lot of opinions moot, to be honest with you. It doesn't really matter what an outsider thinks if the insiders and the community at large really loves the hire because it's your program it's not my program or anyone else's program it's your program but i knew he galvanized the fan base but listen that's icing you got to have the cake so as we always say the season will eventually come it could be rough this year for him but we're not talking about 2021 as being a, a judgment call on Shane Beamer. There is no must win game this year for South Carolina. There will be down the road, but right now they got to get people on campus, people being recruits. They got to get on campus. There's been some excitement around that program. It, it just, you have to sustain it. Any firecracker can burn for a little while. You got to have an inferno, man. You got to have something that burns and burns and burns, and there's no way to know if they had that yet. That's all I'm saying about the South Carolina hire or Josh Hypel at Tennessee, any other new hire right now. All right, I want to wrap it up with just a really, really good feature. I hope you looked at this today on 247sports.com. If you didn't, I would encourage you to wade through all the playoff stuff. You can click on that too. It helps, but I want you to eventually get to the piece that Chris Hummer put out today. Here's your in-cut, Colin. So Chris Hummer on 247sports.com today, he starts talking about player development, and it's something we talk about a lot. There are three aspects, really, that win in college football, and two of them get talked about a lot. One of them's recruiting, and one of them is coaching, you know, execution, X's and O's. but there's this one in the middle, player development, and it does get mentioned, but it's really hazy. It's really foggy. If you were to nail someone down and say, What is player development? You get 20 different answers from 20 different people. What is recruiting? It's easy. What is coaching? They think it's easy, I guess. Uh, player development, it's, it's all over the place. So what Chris Hummer did was he said, let's try and show you what it is numerically. Let's show you what it is graphically. And not right this moment, but in just a second, Jesse's going to show you some of the corresponding graphics surrounding this piece that are incredible. So here's the least shocking takeaway from it. Bama and Clemson are rolling folks, just rolling folks. Some of you know some of what I'm about to tell you, but even the hardcore fans out there, you know these programs are good. Did you know they were this good. So I got some numbers for you, and um, these are mind-boggling. So again, some of these you know already. You know every recruiting class Nick Saban has had at Alabama has won a title within three years. Again, let's pause to let that simmer because that's crazy, but you've heard that by now. You've heard that every Bama team from 08 to 2020 has been ranked number one in the AP poll at least one week out of their year. Crazy, but you've heard that. The most mind-blowing stat, but one that you've heard, is Nick Saban has produced 39 first-round draft picks, and he's lost 23 games at Bama. That includes six the first year. That's probably the craziest, one of the craziest stats in all of sports I've ever heard. Okay, so Nick Saban has rewritten the record books, but here's why. You know Alabama has signed 41 draft eligible five stars since 08, and let me hit you with this number. Those players have been drafted first round at a 48.8% clip. The rest of college football, Good teams, bad teams, 18.3%. What does that mean? Well, essentially, to break it down for you, a five-star kid who goes to Alabama is more than twice as likely to go in the first round as going to any other program in college football. That is how you win. Because you can you a big budget can buy you a lot of groceries, but you gotta have a world-class chef to produce a meal like that. And they got a world-class chef in Tuscaloosa. But it's not just Alabama now. If you look at the breakdown of this article that Chris Hummer put together, Clemson is next in line. And the thing about the Clemson breakdown is they're they're very good right now. They're on top of the world right now, but they don't have as big a sample size as Bama. Bama had 41, I think it was 41 draft eligible five-stars. So five stars that stuck around the whole time. Clemson's I think, relatively speaking, was only like 12 or 13. That number continues to grow every year. So the sample size is smaller, but it's really good with Clemson too. Since 2008, 92% of Clemson's five stars have been drafted. 92% of them have been drafted. That's number one in America. That's better percentage-wise, even than Alabama. Now, again, the difference is the sample size is a little bit smaller. Well, it's way smaller, but again, it's been a theme throughout the show tonight that I didn't really plan, but I'm going to hammer it one more time. There is a horrific inverse to this whole trend. And that is what happens when you can recruit, but you can't develop them. And I think a lot of you know where I'm probably about to go, but Chris Hummer did a really good job of just summarizing it graphically too. The horrific inverse of this is Texas. Texas, since 2008, has had 28% of their five-star talent get drafted. By comparison, Bama's five stars have been drafted at a 75% clip. Clemson's five stars have been drafted at a 92% clip. 92%, 75%, 28% at Texas. So again, I circle back around. Anyone who tells you that anything out there about the system is involved in the ineptitude of these programs need only look at these sorts of numbers. Anybody who wants to talk about a legitimate fix Anyone wants to talk about lack of parity in this sport, you only need look at the ineptitude and the wrong hires that have been made that don't know how to develop the talent, in this case, even when they can recruit it, which makes it triply bad. I mean, Matt Campbell doesn't have a five-star within a hundred mile radius of Iowa State, and they're just churning out winning season after winning season. At Texas, the campus is littered with them, and as you're seeing on the graphic, can't do anything with them. Well, that's why a different staff is at Texas now than it was. But man, I thought that was incredible and it, removes a lot of the mystery. You know, if you want to know why college football seems so predictable at the very top, it's not because anything's broken, at least within the framework of the system. Things are broken in a whole lot of athletic departments. There is nothing unique. I'll tell you what started to separate the cream and had it really rise to another level. 20 years ago, everyone sort of did the same version of workouts. Football workouts, they varied. I mean, Nebraska did different stuff than Florida. But by and large, people were focused on the same thing. It was speed and it was strength and conditioning training. But when you started to incorporate data and you started to incorporate sports science and you had started to incorporate a really firm grasp and understanding of the psychological and mental aspect of this game, the big boys... The right ones invested properly, they hired properly, and what you saw all of a sudden is like the hockey stick effect. And the gap became larger between the haves and have nots because the haves went and got the proper people in position to develop in an area that had previously not been cultivated. If you go back to Alabama and you look at the quantum leap they took just last year, go look at Najee Harris play in 2019 and then look at him play in 2020. Look at the explosiveness of Devontae Smith in 2019 and look at them in 2020. What changed? Well, they got a new sports science team in there. And they had a grand total of like half a season to work with those guys in the middle of a pandemic, Uh, which by the way, begs the question, what will they look like this year? Bunch of unknown names to most of you, but now with a full year and a half under that same structure. My point is you got to invest properly. You cannot let people get an edge on you. Uh, LSU started to get an edge in various sports science categories over even Alabama and the rest of the conference a couple of years ago. It was one of many reasons that they surged in 2019. So when you say, what is player development? It's a whole lot of Stuff. You better have about 15 minutes to spare if you ask what is player development, because anyone who knows what they're talking about, it's going to take that long to give you the right answer. All right, that's about all we have for tonight. I, I thought we were going to go like two hours. We're fine. Okay, we're good. Uh, a quick reminder: liking the videos on YouTube helps us a lot, and also make sure you're following at Late Kick Josh Instagram and Twitter. We got a lot of stuff coming down the pike. We are not far away from the. Th- Theme of this show, well not the theme, the feel of this show changing a lot. That's what happens when we get towards the media day season, then fall camp. I mean we um we really, really go hard around here. And so not that we're not right now, but it's a totally different flavor when we get to the season. So you're gonna want to be on those platforms because as clearly as I can state it right now, there's gonna be stuff there that is not here. So until then, have yourselves a great start to the weekend for Director emeritus Marinus College for Jesse and crew in Connecticut. I'm Josh Payne. Thanks for watching, have a great weekend and God bless.